Welcome to the Hidden Layers podcast, where we typically explore all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. We're hosting special episodes of the Hidden Layers podcast, borrowing the mic from our CEO and the regular host of the show, Jeremy Fain, to have conversations with inspiring, impactful women in marketing and technology. As women, sharing our stories with each other and with others is so vital and valuable. We hope you enjoy the show and it gets you thinking more about how we can all play a part in the continued conversations and actions needed to drive equality in the workplace and in the world. This is Hidden Layers. I'm Justine Frostad, VP of Marketing at Cognitive with over a decade in ad tech and first and foremost, a curious storyteller. Today, I'm joined in the studio by my wonderful colleague, Jana Yakovlievic, Cognitive's VP of Client Success. Jana has over 15 years global experience and was an early ambassador of programmatic solutions. In 2021, Jana was named one of Adweek's 24 Young Influentials, recognized for her impact shaping the advertising industry. Welcome to the show, Jana. Thanks, Justine. Great to be here. Great to have you. We also have the amazing and accomplished Vanessa Vining. Vanessa is the Chief Diversity Officer at VaynerMedia. With over 25 years of advertising experience, Vanessa has impacted many businesses and people with her focus on inclusion, empathy, and driving real change. Welcome to Hidden Layers, Vanessa. Thank you. Appreciate it. Last but not least, we have the incredible Rachel Barsik-McGurr, a seasoned leader and strategist. Currently, Rachel is the SVP and group partner of Integrated Investment with UM Worldwide. Rachel is known for transforming and evolving the traditional media approach to one that is audience first and data driven for brands. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'd love to open this episode with a question that I, I actually asked the first episode we did in this series, because I think it's a really meaningful one. How do you view the experience of being a woman in MarTech today? I think it's a it's it's an empowering time. I mean, women are doing so much more globally in terms of roles that we're having a seat at the table to actually uh, have great impact. But I, I just think it's really living our lives and living our best lives at this point as being women. We're empowered. I think one of the most interesting things about being a woman today in the business world is being able to show up as you are. And I think that for so long, we were told to put on this face of this is what a corporate person looks like and what is expected of you in a corporation. And now you can say, this is who I am. This is my whole self. I am a mother. I am a, you know, all of the things about you and bring that to the table and authentically be yourself as a leader. And I find those are the people that I am most inspired by in the way that I try to show up every day. Yeah. And I would echo what Vanessa said about it being empowering. And I think about my career and I think 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was completely different. And I wish sort of at the beginning of my career, I wish, you know, I had that Me Too era, which we have today. Because, you know, I will say 15 years ago, starting in ad tech, which was so male dominated. It was, I think I was just so naive, like I didn't realize. And, you know, there were situations where I look back on that and I'm like, did that really happen? That was so out of order. So I'm really, you know, grateful for how things have progressed and how we're trying to empower women and lift up women. I think there's so much talk about, you know, opportunities for women in the industry now and, and creating those opportunities. Can you tell me a little bit about your path and what that has sort of looked like in practice for you, whether it's people who have, have provided opportunities that have been really meaningful or, or limited opportunities? 
In the course of my career, I've been very lucky to have worked for women that have really found and identified roles for me that would be, that would help me take my next step in the business. I think what is interesting and where I'm kind of struggling in my, in now is, is if somebody isn't identifying a role for me or identifying an opportunity, how do I carve that out for myself and say that this is an area of interest and I'd like to go forth in that, in that way. A mentor of mine gave me some really good advice about taking lefts and her advice was, you know, this, it's, it's not about, we have historically moved up the ladder and you go from this role to that role to this role. And now it's what left do you want to take? Where do you want to go? What's interesting to you? So I'm really trying to embolden myself to take those roles and take that on for myself. I think that historically, I have been really lucky to work for strong women who have said, you would be great at this job. Come look at this. Or this is an opportunity that would would be great for you. And I am so grateful for those people. Have those people kind of shaped the way, you know, you lead yourself and the way that you mentor other people on your team or around you? I try to be a very loud mentor. It is incredibly important to me to make sure that not only are the people that I mentor, that they they feel heard when when we connect, but that they are heard within the agency. And I think one of the words that has been a really good shift for me is the the language advocate. And I try to advocate so much for them. Someone on my team recently came to me, oh, I'm interested in crypto, crypto, and I, I don't have anything. And then I heard someone else is working on a piece of business, just connecting those dots for every person so that they do have the opportunities is really important. And I try to do that. I would also echo that in terms of my journey and experience. I've had the pleasure of working with some very strong women. Most of most of them have been black women, as I'm African-American woman. But, uh, but I would have to say, if I can say names, Dorothy Davenport was my first boss in corporate America. I used to work in association management prior to coming to advertising. And she was this dynamic woman who just had this presence when she entered a room and she really took me under her wing and nurtured me and taught me how to stand, how to present, how to enter a room and command it. And I was this shy girl from Chicago who was just like very introverted and she helped bring me out of my shell. And then I'd have to say uh, Deborah Gray Young is a a dynamo uh, who used to be my boss. And I think if there are pearls of wisdom that she taught me, she taught me to be a student, be a student of your craft, whatever you want to do in life, be a student of it, put the time in, do the work. And, uh, and I, I have to thank her. And, and we're still connected to this day after many, many years uh, for all that she taught me during our several years of working together. But in addition to that, I worked with other strong women, Danielle Austin of Fluent360, Carol H. Williams of Carol H. Williams Advertising, McGee Williams of Burrell. So I've always been around powerful women who were leaders who em- embodied in me how to, how to lead. And I think that's where a lot of my leadership skills come from. And I and I'd echo the, the mentoring aspect. I mentor internally and externally to VaynerX where I work. And, you know, I always tell people, let's, let's help find, I want to help you find your voice. What's your voice? You know, and so it's really important me to reach back and to bring people forward and, and help them find their center and be their authentic selves in, in whatever they do. Yeah. And, and you talk about having those strong female examples, which I'm sure we've all had and is so valuable when you can see see women in those kinds of positions who, you know, have the power to shape really your whole path. And, and I think that that becomes even more apparent in hindsight as you go on in your own career and you help hopefully pay it forward and, and help other people shape their path. But 
you know, there's been countless stereotypes surrounding work and working women in our culture, you know, since the dawn of time. How do you all think the story of the working woman is evolving? I started my career in Australia, and then I worked in London, and then I moved to Germany, and, and you know, now I'm in New York. And it varies by country, and it was interesting for me going to Germany. And again, I've always worked in a very male-dominated industry. In Germany, it was even more male-dominated. And at the time, Angela Merkel was the chancellor. So from the outside, you would think that Germany was very progressive. But actually being there and talking to the women there, they said it's actually very hard to be a mum and to have a career in Germany because, you know, they're seen as ravens, like seen as bad mothers for not being at home. And that was very surprising to me. And also, you know, going to meetings, I was the head of demand. All of my team were males. So I would go to a meeting with one of my colleagues and immediately whoever was the male and I was meeting with other males, they would always direct their attention to the male in the room first without realizing who was the most senior person. And it was only, you know, when I started talking, they were like, oh, she actually has the answers. I, you know, I'm going to, you know, bring my attention to her. So that was very surprising. And that was after I spent eight years in London. And I would say London was very progressive. I never felt that way. I never felt less, but you know, my time in Germany, I did. And then in New York, you know, obviously very different, very progressive. But there was also, you know, I was warned of this situation in New York that there would be boys clubs. And again, that I didn't experience that in other countries. Yeah. And you talk about being kind of the only woman at the table in those situations. How often do you all find yourself or do you find yourself the only woman in the room or at the table? And and how do you take that on? I don't think I do as much anymore. I think when I started in advertising almost 30 years ago, I was one of few women at the table, but also the only black woman at the table for seven years. And so that was a a daunting experience, but it also taught me how to be resilient and strong. And also, again, have a voice like I would speak up and uh, and but but it definitely I was isolating to some degree being the only black woman at the table and in some instances, the only woman at the table. So, you know, you have to just find ways to continue to forge forward and and break the ceiling of, you know, providing space for us. And it's it's a difficult task. I mean, advertising and marketing as a whole is still very male dominated in the more senior roles. Although we have a number of women in the industry now and leading agencies, it's still, again, very male dominated. So for me, it was something I was so used to. And I didn't realize I I worked with this woman who was so brilliant, so intelligent. And every time she would walk into a room like a boardroom and it was majority men, she would just shrivel up and, you know, not say a word. And she would actually say to me, oh, like, you know, one day I want to be able to, you know, command a room the way you do. And I hadn't even thought about it because she said, you know, I have such confidence. And I think probably just from my experience from always just, you know, being at the table with majority males, I never really thought about it. But I thought it is such a shame that this woman, who is probably the most intelligent woman in the, in the room, you know, is scared to speak up. The only thing I would add, I think, is that I always felt from the very beginning from starting in advertising that there were there was a collection, a diverse collection of, of people, you know, at the entry level positions and the and the you know, as I started to go up, it would be, you know, more and more there were women there. And I think I work at an agency where there is very strong female leadership. But what if just the one leader is female and there are, you know, a few strong female leaders when you find that, you know, at the let's say at the SVP level, it's still really 
there's a lot of men and there are a lot of men with very strong voices and it it is it is very nuanced in how that impacts the day-to-day decisioning and i think it's i think a lot of people would say oh no i don't experience that and i don't experience any kind of um preferential treatment to men but it's there and the more that we kind of are conscious of it and think about it and realize what's happening even if we're not impacting it in that moment the fact that we're at least aware of it and then we can go and think about how do we come back in the next moment it's definitely i feel it more now than i than i ever felt before and i also think thank god the, the conversations that we're having are making me more aware of it but I feel it more today than I ever have. Can I piggyback on that? If you yes. think about Fortune 500 companies today, from 2018 to 2021, we went from 24 female CEOs to 41. That's not a big blip. There are over 500 plus men who are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. And then even for before we got to 21, there would be decades before another woman would be, you know, granted the role of a CEO. And so there's still a lot of work to be done. I think our industry is very progressive in terms of women elevating into more senior roles. But I think if you look at Fortune 500 companies and our, you know, as a whole, we still have a lot of work to do. I don't want it to be the first Ursula Burns, who was the first black CEO at Xerox. I don't want it to be that anymore. I want it to be just a person who is the CEO of an organization and have more women have a seat at the table to run. I mean, the misconceptions that are still pervasive around women's abilities to run a business. I mean, come on. I mean, we're just as smart as men, just as ambitious as men. And we can do the work. I think people, people put us in boxes and they shouldn't. I very strongly agree with that. I think the unconscious bias that we all have when we when when we select, oh, this is the person who's going to lead this team or lead this division or lead this group, is it's it's very preferential yeah. to men, and it's something that that we all are working to break. I actually am a part of a, a group called Chief that is. Oh, I am yes! a chief member. You're a chief. Yes, I I <laughs> love Chief. Chief is a a. Um, it's a private network for women leaders who I've never felt such support from strong, smart, successful women that I can go to, reach out to really anyone and find someone who can, who has experience, a story, a point of view that's going to lift me up and figure out how to, how to tell me to keep going. And I, I really find that, that women are able to do that for each other in a way that I, I have yet to experience, not to say that there aren't wonderful male leaders out there, but I have yet to experience in the same way. And and I think... I, I think it's wonderful. It is. I love, love, love Chief. Um, and you're right. The, the connection that I have to my core pod, we support each other in a way I've never, I mean, I've had support of women in community, but that's a that's a special kind of group because we all f- face the same type of pressures in our roles, in C-suite roles. So yeah, I, I, it's a special group of women I've come to really embrace. That's awesome. You were mentioning, Rachel, just being aware of everything that's going on. And even if you can't fix it in that moment, the awareness is, is helpful in it on its own. I think, you know, men being aware is really helpful and making them more aware of what our experience as women in business looks like. What does an ally look like to all of you? That's such a uh, interesting question. I think that unfortunately or fortunately, it's it's easier to see what an ally doesn't look like sometimes. And I think like for me personally, my experience in 
is just getting lifted, getting looked up, sitting at a table and saying, did you hear what Rachel said? Oh, that idea was great. I can't tell you how many times somebody, I'll sit in a meeting and say something or wait to say something and then and then somebody else will just grab it as their own. And I think it is certainly a cultural thing and certainly a culture on certain teams, but it's that person who who gives each person on the team space, who recognizes everyone for their own achievements, who finds opportunities for individuals and doesn't just go to the same person over and over again because they know they can deliver. Something we were talking about was, was risk-taking recently and giving people on your team space to risk-take. I think I feel the most seen when someone says, we know you're really good at this, but you've never done this, so can you get out of your box and, and try this one out? And I think that's like, oh, wow, you really, you have faith in me. So to me, it, it feels like someone seeing you um, and making sure that the rest of the group that you work with hears and sees your value as well. I love that. I would also build on that, too, because I think um, seeing you is so important, of course, but then also giving you a safe space to take those risks, too. And I think a lot of the female leaders that I've had in particular, you know, give me the safe space to run with ideas and take risks and some work and it's great and others don't. And that's okay too, because you still, you get value out of that just by virtue of learning from the experience and growing. And I've, I have had, you know, male leaders in the past who just, you know, it's sort of like, well, if that doesn't work, then, you know, this better go well, Justine. I'm like, yes. oh God. So then it kind of, you, you're working from a place of fear instead of a place of, oh, I'm supported. Someone has my back. Let's go. Yeah. In my role as chief diversity officer at VaynerX, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, who is our CEO and my boss, we believe in everyone in the senior level should meet everyone in the organization. So literally, people can donut me and schedule 15 minutes on my calendar. And I tell you this, that gives me life. I tell them all the time, like hearing their stories, their journey, how they got here, like giving them pearls of wisdom that can help them. That's what allyship is to me. It's advocating for them to create safe spaces. They can talk to me about anything, but also, you know, advocating for them outside of work. Like if there's an opportunity that comes up and I think, oh, this person would be so perfect for that speaking engagement or this event. I really like creating opportunities because allyship is someone else advocating for you. And, and as part of what that looks like. And, and it's activism. It's not just words. It's not just showing up and saying, oh, I support you. It's action. And what does that action look like? So that's what real allyship is. And I, I look to try to give that to every one of our over 1,500 employees globally within our organization. That's incredible. I love that. And the don't, I haven't heard the donut. Yeah, it's, a, it's, <laughs> yeah, what's the donut? it's in Slack. You can like, if you sign up for it, you can actually donut people. It'll recommend people that you meet with oh. throughout the organization. And so I often get donutted by people. But I also, I'll see someone and I'll say, hey, I just, I, you just got on my radar. Let's schedule 15 minutes. Here's my calendar. Like schedule time. And so I love it. I love meeting. We have so many amazing human beings across Vayner. And Gary leads through empathy. And that's, I think, the great connection with me in this organization is because since I was a child, I've lived my life through the lens of empathy. And so working with Claude Silver, who's our chief heart officer, is amazing. We have over nine women with uh, within our company are in leadership roles from either C-suite or managing directors of our offices. In Latam, we have Gabby Fenton, who runs it. So we have amazing women throughout the organization, and we all support one another. And so we're advocates and allies for one another as well. 
Yeah, I think exposure to people at all levels and equaling the playing field in that way is super important. And I know that's been something really great at Cognitive, too, that we've definitely done. I mean, I feel like everybody's accessible. Yeah, absolutely. And culture is just so important. And really, most of my career, I've worked at startups. And I think, you know, startups just naturally foster this very supportive working environment. And, you know, everyone's a stockholder. So everyone sort of shares in all of the success and has each other's back. It's also a lot easier to know everyone when there's only 50 people (laughs) (laughs) versus 1,500 people. A little different. (laughs) I I think also the culture point is a really good point to make because I think we are in a place right now where there are companies that are making culture a huge part, a very focused part of who they are. And you, you know, to be able to work for a company, like you were saying about Vayner, I feel very similarly about Universal McCann and UM, I think... It's just it's just a very supportive environment and, you know, giving me the tools to mentor and then giving, you know, the the people that I mentor the tools to mentor and making sure that, you know, everyone has a voice and everyone feels like someone is listening to them um, and that it, the, at the core, our company is a group of really awesome, smart and kind people that want to be together and deliver great things together is truly valuable. I I feel very grateful for that. And I think that I think now we as humans across wherever you work, I think there are there's a lot of opportunity to be at a company where a culture matches who you are and who you want to be. And you don't necessarily have to work for some for for someone or somewhere that that doesn't support what you want to live. Yeah, I think also the pandemic, I mean, of course, has impacted the way that we all work and live just a little bit. So talking about culture, how do you think we can all maintain and foster a good, healthy, you know, empathetic, tight knit culture while we're all trying to navigate? Are we hybrid? Are we in the office? Are we full time remote? How are you all finding that? I think we're gearing up for it. (laughs) It's an employee's market right now. And so people and, you know, COVID was so devastating and people you know, companies did not realize that people can actually work from home and be productive because they always felt like I need to see you. I need to know that you're doing your job. And I think that's a valuable lesson that employers have learned during COVID, but also employees have like, wow, I can work from home and get a few extra things done. And this is a time where I tell some of my colleagues and friends like who've had babies during this time, I'm like, really embrace it. I don't know that you'll ever get a chance again to just spend this amount of time with your newborn. And so I think that's going to be it's going to be a bit of a readjustment. I think being together is always special. I mean, you always there's a connection that you have human to human that you're not going to get working from home full time. But I think I think we'll find our way back to it. I don't know if it will be 100 percent the way that it used to be. But I think the connectivity you have when you're together in the same space is special. And so we're working on bringing bringing people back together again and hopefully covid dissipates and will no longer be a factor in how we live our lives. Yeah, yeah. I I really agree and a lot of my friends are people who I worked with and you know all of that time we had together eating meals, traveling together to other cities, countries on work trips, conferences. I think about all the people who are starting out in their career during COVID. It's like how do you connect with people? How do you you know form these relationships at a time where it's really important to to try and build your your network? And I think cities like New York, they attract such great talent. I feel, you know, so 
such a shame to not be able to like interact with these people face to face. It really does make a difference. I don't know how you would sort of build those friendships and connections just over Zoom. I I was I had a one-on-one with someone on, on my team who's been in a, almost a year in our in our company and she was she hasn't met anyone and she's never you know she knows the few people on her team on this one team but she doesn't really have friends like she doesn't have someone that she pings in the morning how was your night what did you do and I am so excited to be able to go back into the office and kind of just sit with people and just have those normal connections I I think I want that so badly for our teams. I think agency life can be so fun and connective and there's so many there's so many ways to kind of learn from those around you and and when you've only been on the other side of a computer, I think it's really hard and that that struck me a little bit when she when she said that to me and I know that she's not the only one that feels like that. And I I went back into the office last week and I ran into someone that was on my team when I worked on Coke and then I saw someone that was on my team when I worked on Exxon and I just felt so good to see their faces and talk about it and what have you been doing and da da da. The one thing I think that we're going to have to shift, I think that is a little bit of a cultural challenge is this idea that we've all been at home, we've all been glued to our computers. We're all now instantly responsive. And I think that we're going to have to figure out how to set those boundaries. It's going to take more than 30 seconds to sign off of one call and on to the next. And I think we need to give people the space to feel like they can be as productive in the office as as they were at home, it's just in a different way. And giving people the tools to kind of flex into this is what I do when I'm in the office, this is what I can do better when I'm at home. Um, is going to be an important shift. And I think we're also used to the calls and the back-to-back Zooms that it's it's going to take a minute, but we we got to make that shift. And, and I think we're all, you know, we're all working. We're working towards it. Yeah. I feel like empathy is a huge key to that. It's like just recognizing that we're all adjusting to it and like our teams are adjusting to it and what feels good for everyone coming back to work and different ways is is going to be very, very different. And I think, you know, looking at working parents, I don't have children personally, but, you know, a lot of people on my team do. And seeing that challenge, I mean, I'm sure, and I know, Rachel, you've, you've got children, but thinking about it through that lens, how is that shift for you? I mean, adjusting from a, a work from home system where you're a little bit more, I guess, available for your children to then going back into the office and finding that balance. Is that something that you have to address with yourself, with your team? Yes, 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 yes. All the things. So I had my son, Henry, was born in September of 2019. So when he was when he was six months old, I went back to work. I was in the office for four days, and then the world shut down because of COVID. So I haven't really been a mother of two in the office, and I've been with Henry pretty much every day of his life, which has been an amazing gift. And also, you know, when he's asking everyone on my call to snap, he likes when everyone snaps. <laughs> um, it can be a little more challenging, but it, it is truly amazing. And I think, like, making sure that I, for myself, to make sure that I maintain the boundaries that are important to me. 
and that I uh, that I do that, and then I give the tools to my team to make sure that they can do that and maintain the boundaries that they need for themselves, whether they are parents or they have other things in their personal life. Everybody has something that they want to make sure that they can probably you know keep safe, take care of. Whether you have a dog, whether you have you know you've adopted a new fitness routine that you want to make that's really important to you, and making sure that everyone feels like they can still maintain flexibility. At UM, we are going back to work next week, going back to work, going back to the office, return to office, excuse me, two days a week with a lot of flexibility. And I think that, you know, to Vanessa, your point earlier, we have to kind of figure it out, right? Like we can't all be in the office at the same time on different calls and everyone's kind of in a different conference room where they don't exist. I think we're going to have to figure out what that really looks like and giving people, you know, I really want to see you this one day in the office for this team. That's like the goal. But knowing that, it's not a mandate and we're going to work together to figure out what is is the best thing for all of us is going to be really important. I have been very candid about my nervousness to go back into the office and, you know, what it means for our health and what it means for, you know, me being away from my family. But I also have been candid about my excitement and all the positives that I think will, will come from it. And I hope that me, my honesty will allow other people to, to come forth with, you know, their feelings about how they're, you know, and if something is working for them or isn't, we're only going to know, to Vanessa, to your point, we're only going to know once we go back and once everybody kind of starts to see what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And there's kind of like that antiquated notion, I think, still out there that for some, where it's like, you know, in my experience coming up in ad tech, you work long hours, you know, you sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice and pay your dues. I think that's changing a lot, too. I am trying to say that busy does not equal important. That is a retraining of my brain that I'm definitely working on. I love that. I love that. I think allowing people to find their voice earlier in their career has been really something a lot of people have learned during COVID because we have a program, a residency program, where we bring in talent for a three-month period and we train them in media, creative, analytics. And so, so... And they're getting a voice very early on because, for example, in my career, when I first started, I wasn't able to talk to a client probably for the first year. It's like that's a very tightly kept arena and there's only certain people at certain levels who can have those conversations. And so we operate very different. We're a very radically different company. And so some of our uh, residents and and post-creative strategists, we call them PCS, actually interact with our clients very early on in their career versus it being the mimicking someone that they've shadowed for a long time's voice. They're actually finding their voice and their footing in the career path much earlier. And it's the new generation too. I mean, if you think about the new generation of young adults that are coming up, they're, the way that they view work and the, 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 the balance that they want with work and life and they want to be able to you know go out and have fun in the flex time. And so that that's changed a lot in our industry um, and the way that we have to think about bringing in talent and how we nurture that talent. Yeah, I think it's not as linear anymore. Where no. It's not just like, well, then you move to this stage and then this stage and you have to be this age to get to this place. I think that that's all changing, which is great because essentially then you get to really benefit from just people's ideas and creativity no matter what age, you know, whether they're young or they're much older and maybe they would have been written off in a different way with age. So I think that that's changing. And I definitely see startups are, are really a little bit more open to that, I would say. 
I don't know how you feel, Yana, but... Yeah, no, exactly as Vanessa said, it is an employee's market and work-life balance is so important. And it was definitely different when I was younger. It was it was like, oh my gosh, I am so grateful to have this job. I am going to work really long hours. And there was a point where I was so miserable in one of my jobs that, and I was traveling and I was on planes and I was literally sitting on the plane thinking, I hope this plane crashes because that's how much I hate my job. And so, and now I realize, obviously, you know, no job is worth that to be that miserable. And thankfully, I think like this generation, the, the, the younger generation has a different mentality. And I think that that is good. And, you know, I manage a younger team and, you know, they're like, hey, is it okay if I leave early because i got to do, you know, X, Y, Z? I'm like, of course, I don't, you know, you know I don't even think about it. I actually think about a lot about what when I started, it very much felt like, oh, I'm scared to make a mistake. I'm scared. There was a little bit of fear. Don't mess this up. Don't did it. I remember my first big mistake ever was uh, not so great. I mean, it wasn't that. You know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, my, the client that I worked on at the time, they ran in in a show that was a little bit racier than than they would have would have liked it to be, um, but. It was like, how could you do this? And da, da, da. I, I just in my entire life would never approach a situation like that as a, as a, as a team leader and what I would expect from my manager. What my manager does provide who I love her so much is that I come to her and say, this is the problem. This is what's happening. She gives me the credit that I work hard. This isn't, I didn't intentionally do something wrong. Like, let's figure out, okay, how do we fix it? What are we going to do next time? And that is the approach that I try so hard to take with my teams. I feel like that culture of you need to be in your desk by 9 a.m. If you're at 9.05, you're late and, and, and you can't make a mistake is, thank goodness, something that is, uh, olden days. Let's call it the olden days. And I, I like that. I agree with you. I used to be such a wreck earlier on in my career because oftentimes in our industry, it's very fear-based management. It's like, yes. I want to put the fear of God in you. If you make one mistake, you're out of here. And so you operate that way. You start to, to, to really think, okay, if I make a mistake, am I going to get fired? Am I going to have a job? Much like what you were saying. And so, you know, I truly, truly believe that's one of the positive things about me that's helped me in my career that I've always led with empathy, even empathy for others who have not been kind to me. Are there any personality traits? I'm curious that um, any of you hold that you kind of tried to mask early on in your career. You were ashamed of or felt that would hold you back that now you're like embracing and feel they're serving you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I am openly gay lesbian woman, I didn't come out until much later in my life because of fear, fear of people look at me differently. I have two boys, they're adults now, but you know, how is this going to impact my children? And so for many, many years, I operated being very closeted in, in, a, in some aspects. And so I remember when I went on my journey to come out, I was like, okay, I'm going to lose jobs. People are going to look at me differently. And so I did something that for me that I thought would ease the room, ease people's angst about me. I said, oh, yeah, I check three boxes. I'm a woman. I'm a black woman. And I'm a gay woman. You check three boxes <laughs> if, I hire, if you hire me. But really what I was doing was dumbing myself down to make other people feel more comfortable. And I had to stop doing that. And so being being who I am and being authentic to myself has become my mantra. I said last year on a panel during Pride, I said, I no longer live in the shadows of who I am. And that was so liberating 
liberating and so empowering for me. And people tell me I just I look happier and younger. And I'm like, yeah, because I don't I don't have to live in the dark and the shadows anymore. And so that was a valuable lesson for me to, to on my journey to actually find my superpower, which is people and culture. I'm sure that's also helped you in terms of leadership because you're leading by example, right? You know, I think leading from the shadows is probably very different than leading from the light. Yeah. I led with empathy, but it was just a little bit of my person. I would give everyone great advice. (laughs) Yeah, be your authentic (laughs) self. And it's like, Vanessa, you're not being your authentic self. So you need to turn the mirror on yourself, girlfriend, and figure out how you're going to do that. And it was it was very mentally draining for me. But again, on the other side, very little. Liberating, and I didn't lose a single friend. I didn't lose a single job. My boys said, "We love you no matter what. You still be our mom." Yeah, okay, we're riding with you. So, so I was. I built up all this fear and anxiety of being accepted after so many years of being, you know, in relationships with men that. It was it was unfounded and, and everyone embraces me for who I am and it's it just feels amazing. And so that that empathetic part of me rode through that journey and it's still it's still at the core of who I am as a human being. That's incredible. That is amazing. Well I've been told um, that I'm too direct several times and I and I think if I was a man would they be telling me that I'm too direct Vanessa's shaking her head no <laughs> not at all not at all and, you know I'm an Aussie we're very like direct to the point and I'm like well I'm not going to change how I am I'm busy I need to get stuff done I don't have time to like waffle or sugarcoat something so I always find that interesting it's like oh you're being too direct and do you feel like kind of leaning into that in a way Absolutely. has helped you I, I don't know. You work with me, Justine. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, I like it personally. <laughs> you know where you stand with me. Yeah. 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 I always like a direct approach, though, because I think they're, for women in particular, too, you're taught just growing up, whatever industry you go into or just walking through life that, like, you know, dim down, shrink to fit the space, yeah. you know. I actually had a good friend say to me, she said, Gianna, I don't know how you've got so far in life being as honest as you are. Wow. I would love to borrow a little bit of that from you. So that I think that that's a wonderful gift. I um I think for me I a piece of feedback that I've also gotten from the very beginning is, you know, to 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 be more serious, to be more reserved in how I speak, to be more, you know, you need to be really, to calm it down a little bit, you know, really. And I'm a very vibrant and excited. I'm a cheerleader. I, I can't help it. It kind of oozes from my pores. And finding the opportunities where the people that I work with feel lucky to have me and just the way that I show up has been incredibly enlightening. I don't have to fit into this box of this is what a leader looks like. And I think seeing the, you know, female leaders that and seeing the female leaders like for someone like a Lynn Lewis, who is the CEO of UM, who is incredible and she leads with such compassion and kindness and mm-hmm. effusiveness, I think is is a beautiful thing. And and knowing when, you know, there are certain clients, I'm in client services where I need to show up in a more serious way, that that's okay. And and I can do that. But being able to flex the muscles of who I truly am, it makes me feel valued. And that's the kind of team I want to be a part of that says, oh, we're lucky to have you. Not, can you tone down who you are? 
Yeah, I think honestly, everybody is served when you're your best self, right? And you're living in your truth, which Vanessa, you said so beautifully too. It's, I think you, it's easy for all of us to have this fear that if you show qualities of yourself that are, you know, the most authentic to who you are, but maybe scary to share, or you feel like you're going to be judged. It's incredible to me when you actually show them and people are quite welcoming and celebrating, celebratory of them, how great that feels and how much it changes the workspace and the life space, I would say. Absolutely agree. The life space. There's so much, I think, as women that we deal, you know, this podcast is about women. So obviously there's so much that everyone deals with, but there's so much that we as women deal with on an ongoing basis that never, that we never bring to the light of our, of our corporate self. And we deal with it on the back end and we, and we just deal with it and it's a separate part and maybe we're struggling and, and sometimes we're struggling in a really big way, but it's not appropriate to bring to the workspace. And I think that is changing and that is, there's just a lot of incredible conversations that are going around about what that are happening now about what what women really need to be successful from a wellness-supported space so that they can be their best selves at work. And that, it's so interesting you say that because that's exactly what Claude Silver, our chief heart officer's entire role is about. It is about people, period. I think companies are starting to see how important that is to their employee population is to make sure that everyone feels seen and heard, can bring their authentic selves to work. But, you know, as I mentioned, that wasn't always always the case for me. But I think times have changed so much that um, people are, are demanding it as part of their career journey. They want to work for companies that are rooted in empathy and kindness and uh, not fear. It's great, too, that, you know, there's so many steps being taken, even though we have obviously a long way to go in terms of uh, prioritizing mental wellness and health and just authentic selves in the workplace. I'm also curious how you all feel about equitable pay for women. You know, obviously, that's an issue. And what I read recently is we're still being paid 77 cents uh, to the dollar compared to men. So, you know, how do you navigate those conversations and how can we kind of destigmatize that and not make it this awkward thing. I think, uh, yes, you're right. There is still a huge gap in pay parity between men and women. And uh, oftentimes it's very much in the dark. (laughs) But I think there's a new law that comes out in May that um, if an employer posts a job position, they have to give a range of what that salary is. And so I think that in itself, at some point is going to make people start to look at, okay, I'm in this role, he's in this role, this is a salary range, what am I making? Um, And I think it just it, it brings more light to how companies are going to be hiring moving forward, and then pay parity and equity among gender. I think that's a, a good start, but I think it's really the companies need to do their due diligence in making sure that there's equal pay parity among men and women in similar roles or the same role. I mean, no one's going to force them to do it, but I think they have to be intentional in their actions to say, okay, we are going to make, we're going to be the ones, the advocates to make the change and not just lip service of saying, oh, well, it's just kind of the way it is, but it's 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 a choice. I think that's really thoughtfully said. I think there is a lot of intentionality, like when you are 
you know, at more junior talent levels of you're this level, you make this much, you're this level, you make this much, et cetera. And then as you move up in your career, it changes it changes. There's a little bit less. It's a little more vague. There's a little bit of less clarity. And I, that's one of the things that Chief is so wonderful about doing is bringing transparency. I think they've kind of helped me understand bringing transparency around what does what are all these pay package things mean and, and how do you kind of unpack them and make sure that you are getting what's equitable and fair. But I think and that's important. But the other piece of it is behavior. And I think for women in particular, when you look at a woman versus a man, the stereotype is that men are very good at asking for what they believe they deserve. And women historically, and I don't know if you all feel this in your bodies because I feel it so strongly, is that you know when we go to ask, we're, 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 we're proving ourselves. We feel like, oh, I'm going to ask and is it going to be okay? And I don't want to upset her. I know she's not going to like this or he's not going to like this when I ask for it, which is a really big thing that we need to kind of move away from. And I think our intentionality as a manager, you know, with, for the people that I manage to be able to have an open conversation with them and make sure that, you know, they, regardless of gender, et cetera, that they feel, you know, that they understand where they are and what, what their, what the, what their opportunity is salary wise is important. But I think it's changing our behaviors and being able to stand up and say, this is this is competitive salary. This is I'm asking for it. There's not there's there's not like an emotion behind it. You know, it, it's just the facts. And I think that's really tricky. That's the other thing is we strive for perfection. Everything has to be perfect. We have to prove that we've done, you know, all the work to be able to achieve X. And that's another thing we need to move away from. It's so true. I think women, you know, just innately feel like we have to prove ourselves at every turn. And, you know, compared to men who generalization, of course, but sort of just feel at core deserving walking in the room. And if you're a woman, you've got to work 100 times harder. If you're a a person of color, you've probably got to work a 1000 times harder, you know, so it's really really tricky and I think it's it's action based it also revolves around allyship to me too and having people who are willing to have those conversations with you and have tough conversations and meet you there I would say like when people are more junior they're they're more willing to talk to their colleagues about what they earn but then as you become more senior that doesn't happen and so you know when you mention chief and understanding what your actual worth and value is that's so important because I think women who are more senior don't have that and they don't generally have someone to talk to about that. That is so true. That's why I love Chief. <laughs> it's I need to join. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the first I've heard of Chief. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really given me a whole different perspective and understanding of the different pressure points when you're in this type of role, asking for what you're worth in this type of role. And then just that network and support of other women is just, I mean, it's worth every penny. And and I've definitely noticed sort of working at startups is that the men are very good at negotiating a package which includes, you know, a really high amount of stock options because they know if that company is sold, you know, they're going to make more money from the stock than their actual salary. And I find, you know, women don't usually negotiate on the stock. They negotiate on the salary, which is, you know, is such a shame. I think if you've got to work at a a startup, you know, having that stock is, is important because startups are a lot of hard work. So, you know, if it, if it takes off, you, you know, you want to be paid sufficiently for that. Um, So I always thought that was interesting. My partner actually works for a cybersecurity startup. (laughs) 
she was super smart and did exactly that. Yeah. So, yeah. But it's a startup nonetheless. And you try to get to IPO. And then if you get to IPO, that's like when you get the big, the big finish on the back end. But it's a lot of work. I, I, like, I admire her to no end how she does it. I have no idea. It's always a gamble. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's actually another important thing that we as women can do a better job of, of educating ourselves around is, is the financial aspect of, of how, how do we take the money that we're making and make it grow. And I think, yes, Chief has been really helpful at giving certain tools. But I also, you know, look at some of the people that I work with and like the, my – you know, who are in their 20s potentially and are asking really smart questions that I wasn't asking when I was 27. I was like, oh, I get this money. It goes here and it goes there. Great. But I think there are really, I think that's like another thing that someone brought up to me as a benefit of working at a company is not only do you get, you know, giving me like financial guidance is how do I invest the dollars that I'm earning, giving me financial guidance about how I think about my student loans, giving me financial guidance about you know, what's like the best way to think about my 401k. Those are all benefits that I wouldn't have necessarily thought were super important when I was 20 something. But now to like this generation of 20 somethings, it's really they, they something they want, which is great. Next month is financial literacy month. And I think shining a light on those moments and companies helping employees figure out what to do is a very big part of, of that financial planning piece of it. And I think when you know better, you do better. Oprah said that, I believe. Yes. I like her. I love Oprah. I've heard of her. I've listened to podcasts every morning. Like, I mean, not I listen to inspirational pieces every morning. That's my thing. And I remember a story Oprah said around when she, I think she was like 25 and she was working as a reporter and she said her, she had, was making like 25,000 a year or something like that. And her father's like, you need to keep that job. You, you make how you making how much your age, you know, the, her age at the time. And, uh, she wanted more. So, you know, you have to think about, this is where I'm starting. I always talk about career pathing with Everyone, I know they probably like Vanessa stopped talking about career pathing, but I think it's so important to to understand where you are and where you want to go and then make the adjustments along the way. But you have to put pen to paper and figure out where you want to go. What do you want to do? Who are your allies along your journey? Who are your advocates along the journey? And then amend it as you go. But you got to put in the work. It's not going to be given to you. It's you got to put in the work and the hours. I, I mean, we younger in my career was like, oh, I went to pull my hair out. But you got to put the work in to get to where you want to be. If you want to be in a C-suite role, you want to be a CEO, you want to run an organization, you want to be an entrepreneur entrepreneur and start your own business, you want to invest, you want to do crypto, you want to do meta. I mean, all these amazing things, NFTs, you got to study. You got to study. What's your plan? I always tell that to my family and friends and kids. What's your plan? So once you figure that out and you bring people along the journey and support you, I think anything's achievable. And educating yourself, really. A student of your trade, yes. whatever you want to do, as Deborah Gray Young used to always say to me, be a student. What sort of resources do you all turn to now? Like even in, in culture today, podcasts, books, you know, people. Is there anything that you're sort of watching and listening to now regularly that's helping you? I love Masterclass. <laughs> I love Masterclass. I'm listening to George Stephanopoulos right now. I think his, he, I love him on GMA. But I think books, I read a lot. I listen to a lot of different affirmations and, um, and I've been people just talking to people. I think, like I said earlier, like I get to meet every single person within our organization and globally. And it's, 
that gives me life hearing other people's stories and journeys and ways of thinking and operating. I'm like, wow, I've never thought of that. I learned something new every single day, every single day. And so that's, that's what I do to, uh, to keep myself abreast and connected. I, I happen to I happen to love anything that you can listen to. So I am heavily into the podcast. I'm heavily into Audible. I try to listen to a lot of biographies. I think just hearing a story in someone's own voice is really interesting. I think as, you know, a mother of two smaller children, it is I can't have a book in my hands, but I can certainly, you know, listen. But I think, Vanessa, your point is so true. I think I was thinking about, you know, coming in for this podcast and what I thought was important to kind of talk about. And I think I think the 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 women and the people that I really learned the most from are the people that have technically reported into me because they have the the certain people have have allowed me to see a very honest version of myself what's not working what is working where my strengths truly are and that's kind of been my I don't know. That is, I think, the relation those relationships I'm just insanely grateful for because I think like those honest that honest rapport and the people that you have kind of that yin yang relationship with, you're good at this, I'm good at this, are the the way that I learn the most. I'm still connected to people who used to work for me fifteen, almost twenty years ago. It's amazing. I, I've it it blows my mind how I've held on to those relationships over the years. I like I, I don't even know how it got started, but I used to say somehow it was like you're in my egg carton. I don't know why it became egg carton, but it was like I've collected you and now you're in my tribe and you're in my carton. And now I will I will always be here. Like where I, I, I think it's a really amazing thing to be able to kind of say, oh, you know, this person has been amazing. And by the way, like you're going to move jobs and you're going to you know want to bring the people along with you that are the, the most the smartest, the best to work with, that is that is a gift. I think that's like how I ended up at UM. And so I, I definitely want to keep doing that. But the egg carton, I don't know why it's an egg carton, but I like the egg carton. You're in my egg carton, you know, something. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I'm at the point now my network is so strong that I would probably never have to look for a job. I would just have to talk to friends in the industry. And, you know, even the way I landed at Cognitive was because I, I know Jeremy Fain. We used to work together at Rubicon Project. And, you know, I think of uh, Jay Stevens. He was my boss when I worked at MySpace. If you remember MySpace, my goodness. Yes. back. <laughs> and yes. then, you know, he took me to Rubicon Project. And then, you know, this is in London. And then, you know, now we're both, well, he was in the U.S. But it's just amazing. Even though I've worked in all these countries, I still come together with these people. You know, a lot of them, you know, had moved from L.A. to New York. And I'd moved from Berlin to New York and all of a sudden, you know, we're friends and we're hanging out. The industry is just so small. And um, talking about podcasts, one I love is Navelle's How to Get Rich. I don't know if you've listened to it, but, you know, he, he talks about how, you know, work with people that you know, that you trust, that have your back. And it's better to have, you know, a small network of these people than a large network of shallow relationships. And he also goes on to talk about how, you know, Guard your reputation with your life because that, that's everything. I want to wrap this up with everyone kind of going around and sharing a piece of, of leadership advice that they've been given in the past that's either so awesome that you have to share it or so cringeworthy that they have to share it. <laughs> Ooh, I'll start. <laughs> 
A piece of advice I was given by my mentor, Christopher Che, is never get complacent because that's the kiss of death. One piece of advice I was given from a mentor is leap and the net will appear. And yeah, and I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, like it could be on a poster with a net or something and someone jumping, but it's true. I mean, even if you don't feel like you're perfectly ready to just go for it and you'd be surprised. I had a mentor tell me, you know, you know, obviously always be nice, be kind, because you don't know who you're going to be reporting into one day. And it's a small world in our industry. Very small. And then for me, you know, I would say, you know, to women out there, don't settle. You know, so many women uh, I know sort of complain about where they are, but they're not doing anything about it. Like you really have to do, you know, go after it. Like you said, do your homework, but then really, you know, chase it, go after it. Yeah, but make sure you take care of yourself first. Always fill your cup first before you fill anyone else's cup because... If you're not taking care of self, you're no good for others. And so that would be another piece of advice I would give women. Take care of yourself first and then take care of others. Well, thank you all so much for being here. This conversation truly has just been really genuine. And I appreciate everyone being so open and engaged. So thank you so much. Thank Thank you. 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 What a pleasure. This has been a special episode of Hidden Layers, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.